0: Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. I am your host, Mark Schlereth, Millennial Ben producing the show. Mike Evans is off, taking his daughter to uh, college, his alma mater, uh, Syracuse. So, all the great broadcasters went to Syracuse. You know, you got guys like Dick Stockton, the legend, my partner when I started at Fox, calling NFL games. You've got guys like uh, Mike Tirico, I think uh, maybe Bob Costas. went. There's a ton of guys that went to journalism broadcasting school at the University of Syracuse. I can't remember what they they call that journalism school, but um, it's a good one. There's no question about that. Mike Evans right up there at the top, so he'll be back next week. But until then, you've got me. And uh, I'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Superbook, America's Best Bet. Check out Superbook at Superbook.com. So, obviously, preseason winding down right now, quarterback battles being decided. Some uh, have been decided, some have been announced, some obviously haven't. Um, So let's start off in Denver, where I live right now. The quarterback battle between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, and this has all kinds of ramifications, it really has divided the Bronco fan base. There are a lot of people out there that think about the potential of a young guy, the youth, the athleticism, the excitement, um, the splash plays. And how could you choose a guy that has been relegated in the minds of fans as a journeyman guy in Teddy Bridgewater and not take the young, more exciting player that has more room to grow and that has a higher ceiling? So let me take you into the mind of, of, of NFL coaches. Let me take you into the mind of NFL players. Like NFL coaches and NFL players don't have the luxury of saying, let's let a guy develop for six years because, you know, it's best for the organization because this is a what have you done for me league. And if you don't win now, you won't have a job tomorrow. That's the way this league works. So they don't have that luxury of waiting around for a guy to develop, develop, uh, waiting around in hopes that a guy will develop, waiting around for a guy to finally have that eureka moment, that flash moment, that epiphany, where all of a sudden, oh, my God, he's great now. All of a sudden, he's great. Like, they don't have the time to do that. So when a guy makes mistakes consistently, they say, it's time. We need to move on. This is not the right guy. And I think from a coaching standpoint, you know what the fans see? They see the big splash play. They see the -the over-the-top throw. The coaches coach the intricacies of what happened on that particular play. So let me take you back to week one in the preseason, where Drew Locke gets the start against Minnesota after practicing against the Vikings for two days. He gets the start. And he goes, I think, 5 of 7 and and has a phenomenal day. And ultimately, he throws a 80-yard touchdown pass to, uh, to K.J. Hamler. And people go crazy here in Denver. They're looking at that play like, oh, my gosh, that's a play that Teddy Bridgewater couldn't make. And, oh, my goodness, he's got to be the starting quarterback. And they interview Vic Fangio, the head coach at halftime. And Vic Fangio goes out of his way to praise Teddy Bridgewater. They say, hey, Drew Locke had a great first half. He was 5 of 7, 150-some-odd yards, two TDs. And he goes, yeah, and Teddy played really well, too. Like, he just dismissed it. Teddy played real well, too. And I think what happens is... We see, as a fan base, we see athleticism. We see potential. We see big arms. We see athleticism. We see escapability. We see all those things, and we think that's what coaches are grading the film on. And that couldn't be further from the truth because what the coaches see is the nuance of the game. They see pocket presence. They see ability to call plays. They see understanding where all five eligibles are at all times. They see how quickly you get through progressions based on the defense that is played, right? So when you're running on the front side of of, of you know a, a a route tree, you're running branch, and on the back side, you're running you know whatever it is you're running. You're running buffalo. You're running you know a, a through and a pick curl and a now route on the back side, and they see you look at the front side and say instantly, I don't like that side. Bam, let me get back to the back side. And it happens in a split second. And then with the other quarterback who has the potential of upside and can make the big splash plays, it takes him two seconds to get to the backside. It takes him two seconds to recognize the coverage. Well, in the National Football League, you don't have two seconds. you got to do it in one second. And that's what the coach is great. You know, everybody here in Denver essentially got – like their panties in a wad, right? Sunshine blown up their skirts, if you will, because Drew Locke throws an 80-yard touchdown pass to K.J. Hamler in the first game, and it was beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. He threw it 63 yards or whatever in the air, comes down to a wide-open K.J. Hamler, who is six yards behind anybody that's covering him. And the fan base goes wild. Well, you know what happens in a coaching, in a meeting, on a play like that? The coaches say, you're late. That ball should have come down at about 47 yards. Why are you waiting so long to throw it? What are you waiting for? Hey, they gave you a pre-snap look. The pre-snap look was cover four, quarters. You faked the handoff. You had a seven-man protection. You turned your head around, and that safety on that quarter's one receiver side, that safety got sucked up in play action. So you're one-on-one with the cornerback, and K.J. Hamler ran right by him. Why the hell are you waiting to throw that ball? Throw it now. Don't let somebody get back in, play, in the play. Don't let the backside safety in quarters come over and make a play on that football. Don't be late with the football. They'll look at that play and say, hey, great play, but you're late. Why would you wait so long? Like, those are the things that go on. And I don't know. I wasn't privy. I wasn't in that meeting. But I'm just telling you, these are the things that coaches coach. This is what they talk about. Right? This is the growth process. And so when you look at really what they're grading, they're not grading things that fans see. They're not grading fantasy football numbers. They're grading based upon what they're asking you to do in the nuance of football. One of the things that I think will blow you away is, I've said this a bunch, I think the best scrambler in football is Tom Brady. Maybe one of the least athletic quarterbacks in the National Football League, right? But his ability to understand, manipulate the pocket, slide to the right, slide to the left, climb the pocket when he gets an outside rush and deliver a strike from different arm angles, it's unbelievable. It's what makes him great. It's what you want. It's the way the league is designed. Think about it. Do they protect the quarterback outside the pocket? To a degree, yes, but that quarterback is fair game. Inside the pocket, if you run by the guy and fart, you're going to get a 15-yard penalty. It's the way the league works. So your best chance of success on a consistent basis is operating from the pocket. What you're looking for as an NFL team or as a franchise is consistency, not splash. Hey, splash plays are great, but they go both ways. Splash players make big splash plays. But the bottom line is they make big splash plays in the negative as well. And what you're looking for as a franchise is consistency. Every possession in the NFL is precious. And if you give a couple of possessions away, guess what happens? One, it taxes your defense. Two, it costs you football games. Come on, the number one indicator whether you win or lose in the National Football League is turn- the turnover battle. You win the turnover battle, you win in this league. And that's what coaches are grading. They're not grading, they're not grading uh, uh, your ability to throw it 65 yards. They're just not. That's not how they operate. And so the Broncos chose Teddy Bridgewater because he does the nuanced things. He does the simple things. He does the, the mundane things consistently where Drew Locke doesn't. And hey, listen, man, one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my career is getting benched. I got benched in my second year in the league and I was humiliated, humiliated about being benched. And I got my job back later on in the season. But the bottom line is you can look at that and say they, you know, you can sit there and say, hey, they screwed me. Like, this this is ridiculous. Like, this should never happen to me. I'm better than this. And the bottom line is, If you change the lens with which you look at life through, which I did, I looked at myself critically and said, man, I made these mistakes mentally. I made these mistakes physically. I did not play the way I played my rookie year, and I have to be better. That's on me. Do I think I deserve to get benched? No, but do I understand why I got benched? Yes. And for Drew Locke, you know, for all those people it'll be out there and say, "Hey man, uh, this is like this is like his career is over." No, it's not. I think you'll play this year at some point. And the bottom line is you got to look at this as an opportunity for you to get better. You've never truly had a, a quarterback that will mentor you in that room. You've always been with other young guys. You had Joe Flacco, but you were on IR rehabbing your thumb, your rookie year. So by the time that you got a chance to go out and practice, Joe Flacco was already on the shelf with a neck injury. So you've never really been mentored. You've got an opportunity to watch a veteran quarterback who has had to overcome the odds, who's got a great story in Teddy Bridgewater. You've got a chance to watch him prepare as a professional. Take advantage. Take advantage. Don't sulk. Don't trip over your lip. Don't oh, woe is me. Go out. And be the best damn scout team player you can be. Try to cut up a, a, a defense that on paper um looks like a legitimate defense and and get better. So that's what's going on in regards to the Denver Broncos. How about the San Francisco 49ers? Did you hear Jimmy G the other day? Oh, uh, yeah, I have a pretty good idea. <laughs> when you're smiling about it. That must mean something, right? Uh it's whatever he decides, yeah. I'll uh... <laughs> I, I, I have a pretty good idea. I'm pretty happy with where, with where I'm at right now and everything, and just the offense as a whole. Uh, but, yeah, Kyle's the head man. He'll make the call. Yeah. I, I, I assume that Kyle has a good idea. Listen, you look at the 49ers, and I think there are three teams. If I said, if I could look into the future and say, hey, here are three teams in the NFC West, and I could say, I saw them in the future, and Seattle won, won the division. You'd say, yeah, okay. I say, uh, I looked into the future and uh, the Rams won the division. You go, yeah, that makes sense. They got Matthew Stafford. I could say, hey, man, I looked into the future and uh, the Niners won the division. You're like, oh, yeah, they're they're loaded from a, a roster standpoint. Like, you would you wouldn't have a problem. You wouldn't argue any of those things happening. I think San Francisco is legitimately talented. I think their roster, both defensively and offensively, are outstanding. And I just happen to think that Kyle Shanahan is one of the, the best head coaches, and one of the best designers of plays, one of the best play sequencers in all of football. You know, there are some guys that call plays. There are other guys that call an offense. Kyle Shanahan calls an offense. He understands that every play stacks like building blocks one upon another and that he is setting up in the first quarter a big play in the second quarter. And I think that because of the team that he has established, because of the O-line they have, because of the running game that they have. Listen, I probably talked to 10 or 12 teams in the last, hell, year. And there was not one team that I talked to that wasn't studying the run game of the 49ers. Every one of them was breaking down their run tape and trying to figure out exactly how they call things, why they call things, what they do, how they do it, why they do it, everyone was studying what Kyle Shanahan has created in San Francisco. And you think about it as all the wide zone stuff, but it's so much more complex than that. That's the basis of it, that's where it starts. But there's so many tangential kind of reaches to their running game, and it's fascinating when they game plan and they do it all. So I just I just think there's no question right now they're going to go with Jimmy G because Jimmy G gives them the best opportunity to, to be successful and to win. That being said, Trey Lance is a tremendous talent, and Trey Lance opens up another part of that running game, and I think that's why he was – I think that's why Kyle Shanahan was so intrigued with Trey Lance because he opens up that r p o game he opens up that um option game. he opens up that that game like what they play in Baltimore. He opens up a whole nother like a whole nother chapter of offense that they can't run with Jimmy Garoppolo. But right now Jimmy Garoppolo gives them the best chance to execute in the running game that they have and in the passing game, and that's why I think you'll see Jimmy G. Uh, even though he hasn't been announced, and Kyle Shanahan has joked, and Jimmy G, as you heard, has joked about, uh, I think Kyle's got a good idea of what's going on. I don't think there's any question right now, the way they're currently constructed, that Jimmy G is the starting quarterback. Let's bounce around to some other quarterbacks right now. How about what's going on in New England? So Cam Newton, essentially a misunderstanding of the COVID protocol. He's not vaccinated. He gets sent home or he can't be there. He's got to be on Zoom, whatever the case may be for a five day period and during that time Mac Jones seems to be cutting people up I mean Mac Jones has been absolutely unreal in the preseason now understand this about preseason when you're playing preseason games it's about your ability to understand and execute in the preseason that gives you the opportunity to grow and and move into the regular season but what you're doing is is you're getting, you know, what you see in the preseason pre-snap is what you see post-snap. It's it's very vanilla. That being said, Mac Jones has been incredible execution-wise. And so now Cam Newton is out of the mix, and I still believe that Cam Newton's going to start the season, but I can't believe that this hasn't empowered the New England Patriots to think about, deeply think about Well, wait a minute, where are we going in the future with Cam Newton versus Mac Jones? And the way Mac Jones is played, the reports that were out just the other day about Mac Jones in a joint scrimmage against the Giants was that he was absolutely unreal. He was like, he completed like 35 or 40 passes in the practice, like it was unreal. And here's the thing about joint practices that you have to understand. When teams get into joint practices, that grading curve or or the value of of that work is far greater than the value of the work of a preseason game because the preseason games, like I said, you're getting a very vanilla can-we-execute-our-base-looks. We're not going to try to trick you we're not going to line up in a cover two and play something else we're not going to line up in quarters and play something else we're not going to line up in cover three and play something else we're going to be what you see is what you're going to get and we're just going to rely on our guys lining up correctly our guys playing the right leverage our guys using their help our guys basically one-on-one beating your guys so there's no game planning involved it's different when the regular season starts, and it's different in these joint practices because you are working on some of your stuff in the joint practices, knowing that, hey, we're not going to see this team, we're not going to play this team in the regular season. That's why you usually see an AFC team do something with an NFC team, right, in those joint practices. That's why that's how it usually works. We have a relationship. Hey, it's the New England Patriots. We have a relationship with Joe Judge and – he used to be a Patriots coach, and he's he knows Bill Belichick, and we got this joint practice so that we know if we see each other, it's going to be in the Super Bowl, and the odds of that happening are probably not good. So we can show each other our stuff because we're not going to let that, you know, that cat out of the bag, so to speak. So that's why that usually happens that way. That's why those joint practices are far more valuable from a grading standpoint than the preseason game is. Because the preseason game, they're not going to show anybody anything on film. That's why they do that. And that's why it's, you know, incredibly important. So I think that's the thing you have to look at. But I will tell you this, the way Mac Jones is played, like whatever the gap was, has certainly been tightened. And it's your responsibility. Listen, if you're essentially not going to get vaccinated, the league is, is, is put it out there. Hey, look! You're going to be punished if things don't work out for you, and you know you you miss protocol, or you test positive, or you you know are in in a con uh, in a contact tracing situation. You're going to miss time. So there's definitely there's definitely an incentive to getting yourself vaccinated, and if you choose not to. Well, that's on you, and and I will say this, and, and I'm not trying to be political here, but to me, the greatest teams, and I was a, a part of some great teams, the greatest teams to me are teams that understand sacrificing for one another. That's that's what winning is, is all about. And bottom line is that you know, um, if you don't get vaccinated, like. you you damn well better adhere to every freaking protocol there is so that you don't put your team in harm's way. And you can't help but sit there if you're the New England Patriots and say, hey, uh, Cam didn't take the responsibility of getting vaccinated and he didn't get the responsibility of being available and he wasn't available for five days. And guess what? His backup balled out of control. His backup was great. How can you not evaluate that? How can you not look at that going forward? How can that not be part of the evaluation process and part of your decision-making process? I still think Cam Newton starts, but I think that Mac Jones has definitely closed the gap or at least made them feel like if Cam Newton has some of the health struggles and some of the, the – I think he threw eight or nine touchdown passes last year. If he has some of the health struggles or or some of the the game management struggles that he's had in the past couple of years because of injuries and everything else, I I, I think it makes your decision to move on a lot easier. It's just common sense to me. So I think that's one of the things that you have to think about in Jacksonville. Obviously, they named um, – you know, worst secret ever. They named – Um, Trevor Lawrence the starting quarterback and you know I mean you knew that was coming right I mean obviously you drafted him number one overall but but here's the thing that I think is is really interesting about Jacksonville because I got this argument on FS1 the other day or not argument but a discussion on FS1 the other day as I was doing um, speak for yourself and I think one of the things that they talked about is hey this this kind of push of would it be better off because you're not a a super talented organization right now and you're in the midst of change. You got a a rookie first time head coach in urban mile who came from a college program and you've got all these things going on. Would it make sense to not play Trevor Lawrence and not risk him injury wise and, you know, play Gardner Minshew, which I think is, is stupid. I think it really comes down to this. (laughs) I mean, I was in the league when Troy Aikman got us. I think he was one and fifteen, or the Cowboys were one and fifteen in his rookie year. And the one win, Troy got knocked out in a game. It was actually against my team, Washington. Troy got knocked out in that game, and I think Burline came in to finish that game and beat Washington. At the time, we were eleven and zero, and they beat us like twenty four twenty one or something like that. And um, and they were one and fifteen that year. And and Troy Aikman took a beating, but. There was value in that beating. And, and what I'm saying is I don't want my quarterback to be David Carr and get sacked 78 times or whatever it was. Like That's not good. Or, or Patrick Ramsey and just get the snot beat out of you. That's not good. It's incumbent upon this coaching staff to understand that if we lack the talent to compete with several of the teams that we're going to play and we're down by 14, we're not throwing it 55 times. We're not putting him in harm's way because nobody can survive that. We're going to still run the ball. We're going to create an offense. We're going to create an identity, and this is the way we're going to go about it. We're going to give our play action opportunities. We're going to make sure that we protect him in the way we call the game, and that goes down to Brian Schottenheimer, their offensive coordinator. So that's the things that have to be done if you're going to survive, right? And so those are the things in my mind that you have to be willing to do in order to to, to start a rookie quarterback and develop a rookie quarterback. You have to be a great coaching staff. You have to be aware situationally, and you have to have a system in place that that you basically say, we're not going to deviate from this system simply because, you know, we're down by 14. And those are the things I think that are going to have to be done in Jacksonville and that are imperative to you developing Trevor Lawrence. I, that to me is just the way it's going to have to be. And you have to understand that this is going to be a process and to change the culture of an organization and to revamp, like you can revamp the roster pretty quickly in the course of a couple of seasons, right? Every, every year, your roster turns over 30% anyhow. So in the course of a couple of seasons um, you can revamp your roster, but it's about the culture of the organization. That's important. And the face of that organization, there's two faces. There is Trevor Lawrence and there is Urban Meyer. And those are the two guys that are going to That you know, better or for worse, they're going to drag this this culture of this organization and are going to be associated with this organization, um, you know, over the near future. And and those are the guys that that have to be able to do that. So um, this is a, a quick uh, Stinky Truth podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate you. Mike will be back next week. Uh, to run the show, which will be a lot better than me running the show. There's no question about that. I want to thank our, uh, our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Superbook, America's Best Bet. Check them out, superbook.com. Uh, for Mike, for myself, for Millennial Ben, thanks for listening. We appreciate you, and uh, we will be back. Mike and I will be back next week.